Tonight we're in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 24, and I'm just going to go ahead and read uh, the whole passage. Actually, if someone wouldn't mind reading um, Luke 10, 1 to 24 for us, and then, and then I'll talk the rest of the time. You want to do it? Okay. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and then sent them on ahead of him. Two by two went to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out like as lambs in the midst of wolves, carrying no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be on this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God is come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on, the day, on that day uh, for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been in, done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have been, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they said to him, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you all authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one who knows and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. pray before we get started. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you've preserved it for us to study, God. Lord, we pray that you would apply this word to our hearts. Lord, teach us 
the principles of the mission. God, teach us what it means to be on mission and, and God, convict us of, of where, Lord, we are lacking in faith and um, where we need to trust you, Lord. And thank you for all this in Christ. <clears throat> um, so, that's a big chunk of uh, scripture and, and judging from our past few services where we looked at maybe a few verses and spent an hour on it, I expect that we'll be here you know, for four hours maybe, so um, so if you guys are okay with that, just you know, get in for the long haul, and uh, I guess, yeah, that's, I guess you can leave. Okay, uh, yeah, so just track it here, that'd be good. Um, no, I promise to uh, click through these points as quickly as I can. Um, so we've been in Luke in our Bible study for, well, since March, so last March, so um, it's been a really good study. We really enjoyed it and have learned a lot about, um, about Jesus' ministry, about John the Baptist, about lots of different things that didn't have as much context for before. Um, and so we're picking up in the middle of that uh, in chapter 10. So to bring us uh, a little bit up to speed, I'll just kind of share a few things that have been themes that we've seen through the book of Luke um, over, the past, over the past year. So some very overarching things. Um, first is that Luke describes to us the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus actually came as God in the form of man to earth by birth through a virgin who was, you know, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And uh, the amazing truth that we cling to as a church is this truth that Jesus came down in the form of a man and again took on uh, this life that we face and he faced it for us and did it perfectly. And, and uh, so this idea of incarnation, the coming of Jesus, him, Jesus with us, Emmanuel. Um, so that's a, a huge concept within, within Luke. And the next is this idea of expectation. Uh, tons of people had a certain expectation about what it meant for the Messiah to come. And uh, as you may know, that expectation was basically shattered and continued to be shattered throughout Jesus' life as he interacted with uh, with people, whether it be the religious or the, quote, irreligious. Um, so expectations, even, even those closest to him, took so long to really grasp what he was doing and the mission of God. So many thought that he was going to come as a Messiah and restore some sort of military, uh, political rule in the area, um, and that just wasn't his program. His program was not of a physical kingdom, but of a spiritual kingdom, and one that we are a part of today, one that is increasing uh, across the world even now. Um, so expectation, Jesus came just shattering expectations uh, in his incarnation. Um, authority, we've seen throughout, uh, throughout the book of Luke uh, that Jesus has established his authority over and over and over again, whether it be authority over disease or authority over, uh, over nature or authority over humankind, he's established his authority on earth. Hey, Socrates, good to see you. Yes. Um, so his authority, we've seen his incarnation, a, a, a different expectation, his authority, and one thing that we're getting into even now is uh, his desire for discipleship. He is, uh, he's not coming as one leader that's going to uh, rule over everyone, but in fact, he is coming to disciple others to carry out his mission in the world, and we are all a result of that. And uh, one of the things we see, even at the beginning of this passage, is, is the, the fanning out, so to speak, of, of Christ's mission and his church. So initially we see 
that Jesus is uh, carrying out his ministry and preaching the gospel in towns throughout, uh, throughout Galilee. And then uh, just a chapter ago, in chapter 9, we see him send out the 12 disciples uh, to go with the same authority that, that he has. He says to them at the beginning of chapter 9, um, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now that is exactly what he had been doing himself. The authority that he had been establishing, he gave to the 12 disciples he chose. And the cool thing that we're going to see tonight is that it wasn't just about those 12 disciples. While they were chosen as the leaders of the church and, and Christ called them to himself and, and, and commissioned them, uh, it wasn't just for them, it was for all believers to carry out this mission. And so now we see in chapter 10 that he's appointing 72 other people, not the, not the 12 closest that he had chosen, but 72 more that are going to be sent out on this mission. And... What we know, and, and we all have experienced this, is that as Christians, we are truly all sent out in the way that God came to us, we now go to others. So that's a part of being a Christian, is uh, going out. And one thing that we miss so often as Christians is that we go, not under our own authority or our own ability, but with Christ's authority and rule in this world. And so um, one of the things we need to be reminded of, I need to be reminded of often, is that when I go in Christ's name, I go with Christ's authority. It's not my authority that I'm going and preaching the gospel and sharing God's word. It's with Christ's authority. And I need to trust in that more and more each day. And I think we all need to be challenged in that. That as we, as we go as his ambassadors into this world, we don't go under our own authority or any man's authority. We go under the authority of Christ. And uh, that's a huge, huge thing. And in fact, I'd, I'd say that's the main point of... If, if you catch one thing throughout this whole message, we're going to go through a, a handful of principles of the mission that come out of this text. But the biggest thing is that Jesus came and established authority, and he delegated it to us. His authority, his same authority and power resides in us, and we have that in our lives. So as we go and do the mission that God has called us to do, we do it with Christ's authority. So let's, let's be sure to remember uh, that point as we look. Um, so as you see on, on the back of your guides, there's, uh, I think, maybe seven principles that kind of just worked out. Um, there probably could be more or less, I'm not sure, but uh, I got seven, which is, which is nice. Um, so we're going to walk through uh, these 24 verses and, uh, and, and look at the, the seven principles of the mission uh, that we see here. Um, one thing to note about this is, is that this particular passage is, is a particular instance. So Jesus is sending out 72 uh, individuals with a purpose. Uh, at this point in Luke, the story has sort of shifted, and where Jesus was ministering in Galilee for a long time, now he has set his course for Jerusalem. So from now on, he's headed toward Jerusalem. And that's an important fact because we know that the last week of his life in Jerusalem, uh, before he's, he's crucified, is the most important time of his ministry. Um, and so he is headed that direction. And before he does that, before he goes on that, I guess, uh, final tour or last hurrah or whatever, he sends out these 72 people to the cities that he's about to go to. So um, this is a very specific instance. And so there are a number of things within the context of this of this chapter that I would say are specific to this, uh, this sending. Uh, so what I want to concentrate on during our talk tonight is the principles that we can apply to our lives 
uh, from this mission and, uh, and not necessarily the, the particulars that were uh, specific to, uh, to their case when they were sent. So, um, so as we go through this, uh, he sent us with authority and these are the principles of the mission that we see throughout. So the first one is, uh, is in verse 1. So verse 1 says this, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And I've alluded to it some already, but the beautiful thing about God's kingdom work is that it's not just for, uh, you know, for a minister or a, a called disciple or a full-time, uh, a full-time parishioner of some sort of clergy. Uh, it's for all Christians. All of us are called to the same mission. And in fact, there's no um, special status uh, you know, the, the only difference between me as a Christian and maybe you guys as a Christian is that I spend uh, more time studying God's Word and more time devoted to the, the things that, that I'm doing. And, and you guys may have a, you know, a job that you work at you know, 40 hours a week or something. I actually have a job that I work at 20 hours a week, so I'm doing a little, little bit of both. But uh, the, the only difference really is, is an amount of time. That doesn't give me any special status. That doesn't make me better in the eyes of Christ. It just, it's my calling, and that's what I'm supposed to do. And in the same way, you know, as you go to work, you know, that's your calling, and that's what you're supposed to do. And you uh, need to do that with the same authority that Jesus has given you as, as he's given me. There's no uh, sort of, I'm, you know, the, the, the clergy are somehow better in the eyes of God. That's not true. That's a lie. Um, and, and we see that in 1 Peter 2. Uh, verses 5 and following, when we see that you know, there's a priesthood for all believers. There's not, uh, there's not some that are better than others, not some hierarchy of importance, uh, but in fact, we are a holy priesthood. All of us are priests. Throughout Paul's writings, as he interacts with people, he addresses each of the, each of the cities that he writes letters to, and he says, to the saints... There's a status that, that is gained in Christ for all Christians. It's not for a select class. I describe it this way. This way is how it makes the most sense to me when I think of the, uh, the, the, there being no special status in the mission. Um, in, in the Old Testament, there was a temple, right? And uh, in the Old Testament set up, uh, there were priests that ministered to the temple, and they were the ones that were allowed to bring the sacrifice and... and uh, in, prepare the incense and do all the things in the temple to connect with God. Um, and there were also temple servants um, who would help, they would you know, prepare, prepare sacrifices for the priests to offer and, and help around the, the menial tasks of, of the temple and make sure everything's there in order. Um, and from what we understand from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 19, is that, in fact, you as a Christian are a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit lives in you. In the same way that the presence of God dwelt in the temple in the Old Testament in that period, uh, His presence, the Holy Spirit's presence, is within all believers. So right now, as, as weird as it seems, the Holy Spirit is inside of me. He's inside of you, inside of each of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior. And so the temple is not some structure that we have men set up to, to serve at. In fact, the temple is the individual Christian that's sent out to do mission for God's glory. And so uh, my, my best understanding of what it means to be, uh, a, I guess, a full-time minister or a clergyman or whatever title if you want for a lead minister or whatever it is, is that I'm just a temple servant. 
That's all I do. I'm here to spend as much time as I possibly can to equip uh, the saints for the mission that they've got to uh, prepare the temple to make it, you know, in, in the best form it can to go out and serve uh, in, in the mission field that, that, that you have. And so um, there's no special status in the mission. There's no, uh, you haven't achieved some special thing by, by becoming ministry. You just happen to take more years off to go study the Bible and, and happen to spend more time during the week doing it. And it doesn't make you better, just makes you a part. And we each have a part to play and it's an equal part. And it's a, it's a part that serves the Lord's authority in all the various places uh, where he's called us to. So uh, the first principle is, is simply that. There's no special status in the mission. Um, we are all priests in Christ. And, and in fact, the Holy Spirit lives in each of us. And we have a purpose and a mission that we have to be, uh, be obedient to, uh, to doing. So first point, no special status in the mission. The second thing that we see is in verse 2. And that's that prayer is central to the mission. So Jesus, before he sends out the 72, he says to them this, um, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Prayer is uh, a declaration to, um, to God that we're dependent upon him. Uh, when we go off and, and do things uh, without seeking God's guidance and, and direction first, we're saying to the Lord that we know best and we know what needs to be done and we're just going to go do it. And the truth is that's not true. We have no clue. We have no idea what's going on, especially in the spiritual. And we depend on God uh, for all things. And so prayer is, is that declaration, that dependence upon God uh, for His work in the mission. I was listening to uh, some messages from the, the Passion Conference in Atlanta this, this weekend, or this, this week, and one of the, their emphasis this week was on human trafficking, and so they had uh, a leader from uh, the International Justice Mission, you may have heard of IJM, um, and so he, he was sharing, I guess, that at IJM, you know, their purpose is to basically stop human trafficking, whether uh, uh, humans used for slave or in the sex industry, they are at it all over the world, uh, you know, working with local police and, and different individuals to uh, crack down on, on human slavery. And uh, a staggering you know, fact is that there's 27 million people estimated that are enslaved today in some form, whether it, whether it be sexual or whether it be in just uh, in work. You know, there's 27 million in our world, and it's just not right. So their mission is to do that. And they're a gospel-centered mission. And what they do each day is 30 minutes at the beginning of each day, they stop as a whole organization. They pray to you. They depend on God for the mission. They may be doing some social justice work, but they know that, that Jesus is responsible for this and that he is going to uh, make this right and we depend on him for strength. And so they, they spend 30 minutes at the beginning of each work day uh, surrendering to God in that. And then they do it again at noon, another 30 minutes that everyone stops whatever they're doing and they depend, you know, they declare the dependence on the Lord through prayer. Um, so, very powerful um, message of, you know, declaring to God that we're dependent upon Him. Um, a, a cool thing here that, that comes out even in this prayer is that uh, that when we're harvesting, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, we're, earlier, the harvest is out there. It's around us. We see it in the people that we have maybe influence with or, or, or relationships with, the harvest is there. 
Um, and Jesus had compassion on, on the harvest. He saw it and he sent these people out to, to harvest. The cool thing about the harvest is that when we're harvested, we become laborers. There's not like some place where you get laborers for the harvest from. Like you don't just acquire them from somewhere to come work the harvest. In fact, the harvest, you know, when someone's harvested, they are turned around and become a laborer. Um, so as Jesus is praying for these people, as they, uh, these 72 as they go out on their mission, he's praying that they would raise up followers in the kingdom of God to be harvested as believers and then go out as laborers. And that's the same prayer that we, we should have in our lives um, uh, for those around us. Where do the laborers come from? They come from the harvest that's around us. We need to have the compassion of Jesus to see that harvest and, uh, and pray intentionally that, that God would raise up laborers from, from that harvest around us. So prayer is central to the mission. Um, the third thing we, we see is that the gospel has opposition. Um, in verse, uh, verse 3, it says this, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Yet the truth is that the gospel is not a popular message in our world. You know, if we get down to it, this idea that, that we are sinners and that we've, you know, we're not good at heart, that we're evil, that we desire uh, self, we have selfish desires within us, that uh, you know, we are sinners at heart and that we can only come to God through Christ. That there's no, uh, no effort that we can put forth, no, uh, no step plan that we can put in place that will get us to God. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we can be restored to God the Father. And, and that happens to be a very unpopular message because, uh, frankly, people want to work their way. They want to have pride and uh, they don't want to seek help and they, they want to do it themselves and they want to find it in, in their own way. Um, and so our culture often rejects this message that, that we depend on, on Jesus, this man who came to earth uh, for our salvation. Um, and that's, like I said, that's probably wrapped up in a number of things. The, there, there may be disbelief about who Jesus is and, and that, that keeps people from it. Or there, there may be, like I said, simply just that pride that keeps someone from wanting to depend on anything else. I think we see that in America a lot. I mean, you look around and people, we're a prideful nation. We, we, we're pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to do it on our own. Um, and so it's a hard thing to say, no, you know, in fact, I depend on something else. And, and when it comes to relating to God the Father, we depend on Jesus Christ alone. So our culture rejects that message that, that we're sinners and that we can only come to God through Christ. Um, but the truth is that even those that call themselves Christians often reject this message. Um, and how do they? How do we? How do we do that? I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm guilty of that too at times. Uh, you know, we do that by putting too much emphasis on the things that we do rather than our identity in Christ um, to to justify ourselves before God. And um, you know, I'm I'm reminded of. Uh, one of the men that approached Jesus while he was ministering, and he said, he was asking him how to uh, basically gain eternal life. And uh, Jesus responds and, and gives him, you know, how do you follow the law, essentially? And the guy says, yes, I'll follow the law. And in that it says, you know, uh, love God and love your neighbor as yourself is kind of the response that he gives to him. And he says, it says, in order to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? And um, in fact, I think it might be the next passage that we're 
we're going to get to. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm reminded of it. Because uh, it's, it's the next one. Um, anyway, so he's, he's trying to justify himself. And we do that so often. We try and justify ourselves, uh, whether it be through, you know, checking off the gold star that I went to church or, or you know, trusting in maybe a, a devotional or trusting in some, uh, some quota that we have to make of, of people we're going to talk to or whatever, we can easily get wrapped up in trusting in our own works and our own deeds rather than trusting in who Christ is and what he has done for us. And we have to be very careful about that, that we don't become Christians who uh, reject the, true, the gospel message that we can only come to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son and who accept this false gospel that we come to God the Father by our works and abilities and, and efforts. And so we have to be careful in, in that in, as, as Christians. And so our culture rejects the message and many Christians reject this message that, that the only way to God the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. So the first three things that I've mentioned that, that are principles uh, for the mission, no special, there's no special status in the mission, that prayer is central to the mission, and that the gospel has opposition. And the next one is, is this, um, that God provides for the work of the mission. As, he, as Jesus sends out these 72, he gives them a specific instruction. And I don't, you know, again, this is why I don't think this is uh, a passage that we just model after and apply to how we do ministry now. Um, because he says, carry no money bag and no knapsack and no sandals to them. And, you know, so really I see a principle in this. I don't, I don't think God is saying that we can't have an extra pair of shoes if I'm a minister. I don't think that's what he's saying to us. Um, and uh, so, so the principle that we get from this is, is simply that God is the one that provides for the mission. What he's telling these 72 as he sends them out, don't take extra stuff. You don't need it. You don't need it. I'm sending you out for this specific purpose. You need to accomplish that purpose. And in that purpose, you're not going to need money because I'm going to bring it. You're not going to need a knapsack because I'm going to give you a place to stay. And you're not going to need an extra pair of sandals because the ones on your feet are going to work the whole time. So... Uh, so the, the, the principle that we get from, from that is that uh, we depend on God for the mission. It's not out of our own strength. Again, that, that message just comes back and comes back. We don't provide for the mission. God is the one. God is the provider for the mission. So no special status in the mission. Prayer is central. Gospel has opposition. God provides for the mission. The next one is, is just after that it says, uh, we must have focus on the mission. And the next thing he says in verse 4 is, and uh, as he goes on, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Again, I, I don't think God is saying, okay, as you go about as Christians in the world, you should not greet anybody ever. I don't think that's the message that is being said. But I do think, again, there's a principle that comes out of this that says, uh, this specific mission that he had given these 72 was so important that they get to these cities and declare this message of the gospel that they weren't even able to stop and greet anyone on the road. They needed to uh, you know, stay focused and get to their mission, you know, declare the gospel, and, and see if that town accepts it or not. And so the principle that we apply to our lives is that as we go about you know, carrying out the mission in the world, we need to not be distracted by things in, you know, in the world. And there are tons of distractions in the world. 
Um, so, uh, so don't be distracted from God's call on your life. So that means in, in all of our life decisions, and you know, not just because we prayed about it earlier, not to just pick it out, but like as you think about another job, Sam, and where you might go next, you need to be seeking the Lord Jesus first for what direction you have in your life. And the same thing for us is as we pray about what's the next step for us as a church and how we outreach to the uh, to to Clearwater, we need to be thinking, you know, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus and His mission for us, and not being distracted by uh, things that this world would bring up. And so, as we go about our lives, all of our life decisions, uh, we need to consider uh, not not get distracted by the cares of this world and things that are going on, uh, but be sure that in every decision that we make. We're making it for the kingdom's advance and not for our own kingdom's advance. Because often we can exalt ourselves and our, our comfort and our, our uh, status and whatever. And we can protect that and we can make decisions based on that. And our decisions don't need to be based on that. They need to be based on how God's kingdom is going to advance. And that can create a, you know, a lot of discomfort sometimes. But that's one of the principles that's given to us in the mission is that our focus has to be on the mission and not, uh, not on ourselves and not on the, the distractions of the world. Um, so I don't want to see you guys like walking down the street and not talking to anybody, but <laughs> please greet people on the road. It's a good thing. In fact, I think it's part of the mission now, so do that. Um, so we must focus on our mission. Uh, the next thing, the next principle that I see uh, in, in this passage is actually a large chunk of the passage, verses 5 to 16, and it's simply this, that we should have confidence in spite of what seems like negative results. We should have confidence in spite of what seems like negative results. Um, so I'll just read this, uh, this passage through to refresh us again, um, and just just think of that, that principle as, as I read it, that our confidence shouldn't be in results, it should be in what God has called us to do. So as I read, just think of those things. <clears throat> Verses 5 to 16. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, then your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the, sick and, heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable for that town, for, uh, on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would, have been repent, uh, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Jesus is laying it out right there for them that rejection is going to come. They don't need to worry about that because they're not the ones being rejected. 
The fact is that those who reject the gospel message are rejecting Jesus. And those who reject Jesus are rejecting God the Father. The one that they so long in their deepest heart of hearts to be connected with is the one they're rejecting when they reject Christ and they reject those sent for Christ's name. So the few things that come up throughout that, that larger chunk of, of text, and uh, I'm just going to run through a few of them uh, briefly. And the first is simply this. Judgment is real. You know, we see that, that uh, some of these cities are going to respond to the message that these 72 declare to them, that the kingdom is near. And as a result, people are going to be healed and come to the Lord and, and know the kingdom is near. And some are going to reject it. We see uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum get a harsh judgment upon them. Truth is that judgment is real. What did Capernaum receive? They thought they were going to be exalted to heaven, but Jesus says, you shall be brought down to Hades. Again, I said earlier, the gospel has opposition. And one of the reasons it has opposition is that it says that there's, there's a place, there is judgment that is going to happen, that that is imminent. And uh, that's not a happy, you know, go lucky, feel good message that the judgment is coming and our culture reacts against that. But the truth is that judgment is coming for those who don't respond to the call of Christ in their lives. They're rejecting Jesus and they're rejecting the one who sent him, God the Father. So judgment is real. The second thing that I see in this uh, chunk of text is that the kingdom of God was near regardless of whether the town rejected them or not. So if you look back in verse nine, it says, uh, verse eight, it says, whenever you enter the town and they receive you, eat what is said before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then skip down uh, just after that. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. In both circumstances, God had graced those cities with his presence. The kingdom of God had come near, even in spite of the fact that this town decided to reject the message. They had an opportunity. They had an opportunity to respond to uh, this kingdom message. So uh, first, judgment is real. Uh, the kingdom of God is near as it's declared, whether, uh, whether it's rejected or not. And, uh, and, and, and with that, I, I would say that uh, the mission doesn't come without discouragement. And we see this in, uh, in Paul's life as he, as he responds to discouragement. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verses uh, 7 and following, this beautiful picture that is an encouragement to us as we consider uh, you know, facing, facing rejection or, or discouragement. Uh, it says this, I'm actually in wrong Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. The truth is that as we declare the message of the gospel that we are sinners and that we 
need God's, uh, God's saving through Jesus Christ's blood on the cross, we are met with rejection with that message. It's not, like I said, it's not a popular message, but we see Paul rejoicing in that fact. It's okay, he doesn't, he's not concerned about it because as he declares the message, he's being obedient to what God has called him to do, and that is his only responsibility, to be obedient to what God has called him to do. The results are up to God. God's working in, in people's lives. And so, yes, there is rejection to be faced, but we face it with joy uh, because we're obedient to what God has called us to. So obedience is our responsibility and not results. So for us, we need to ask ourselves, are we judging ourselves based on, uh, based on our results or are we judging ourselves based on our obedience? So again, to rehash so far what we've got in terms of principles for the mission. There's no special status in the mission. Prayer is central to the mission. The gospel has opposition. God provides for the mission. We must focus on the mission and we should have confidence despite the negative, negative results that we might face. Finally, this, uh, this principle that's, that's huge is our joy is in our identity and not in our gifting. Verse 20 is, uh, is where we find this. As the 70, or 17 to 20, uh, starting at verse 17, as the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject, in our na- uh, subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and, and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Can you imagine that? Your, your name as a Christian is written in heaven. What a beautiful, a beautiful truth. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen, right? Uh, so our, our joy should not be found in, in our gifting or the things that God enables us to do. Our joy should be found in the fact that our name is written in heaven. And that's such a tendency of ours to trust in our ability, to trust in, in the things that we've done. Again, instead of trusting in what Jesus has done for us, that's where the power and authority comes in our lives. It's not when we are trusting in our own abilities and doing the things that we're able to do. It's when we're trusting in the fact that Jesus has, uh, has written our names in, in heaven. That's just an awesome thing. So our joy is not to be in the things that we're able to do. Our joy is to be in the identity that we have in Christ Jesus. As we've talked about many times in our, in our vision series, uh, the truth is that, that, and I'm just blown away by this as I reflect on, it was, I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, where it says, you know, we are the righteousness of God. I just can't get over that fact. You, as a Christian, like, you've accepted Christ. You are the righteousness of God. So often we just nail ourselves and give guilt trips to ourselves and knock ourselves down and, and think we're not worthy, think we're not able. But the truth is, in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. And so we need to trust and have joy, uh, not, not in our abilities or our strength, but rather in the identity that Christ has given us um, through his sacrifice on the cross. So a number of principles that, that we've shared that we all need to apply to our lives to be obedient to the mission. Uh, and I've read them probably 
plenty of times, so I'm not going to read them again to you. But they're there on, on your sheet. Uh, and chiefly, as I said from the beginning, Jesus has come, and so, and so we must go is the main point that we should take from this. We all know as, as, as believers that Christ has come. He has done a great work in our lives. As a result, we have a responsibility to go forth and declare that same thing. Again, Jesus saw a harvest around him. As he came to earth and experienced it, he looked around and saw this harvest. And he came with authority as a laborer in that harvest, showed us how to do it. And he showed it to his disciples. And then he showed it to 72. And then he gave us a commission to do it to the ends of the earth. And that is our, that is our, our, our mission, our commission. It's that Jesus has come, and so we must go. And the truth is that there is a harvest around each of us, like I've said. If we open our eyes to see with eyes like Jesus did the harvest around us, we would see that there, there, are, there are laborers there that we need to go forth and, and have spiritual eyes and, and take God's authority with us uh, as we minister to them. We are sent with Christ's authority into the harvest that is around us. Finally, Luke closes this passage, um, or in, in the close of this passage, Jesus uh, rejoices in the beauty of this truth that, that now, even though he has come, he has given authority to these, other, these, uh, these disciples, and now these 72, that Christ's kingdom work is, is being done through just normal, everyday folks, that people who once were fishermen, that once were tax collectors, are now out advancing the kingdom of God. Christ rejoices in this, as he says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son, whom the Son reveals him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you uh, that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus rejoices in this instance that now um, Christ has come and he's commissioned disciples to go forth and take his kingdom into the world. What a, be a beautiful thing that God um, wouldn't come down and strong our humanity into obedience to him, but rather would unleash people for his purpose. Instead of coming down here and just making zombies out of us or, or something, he comes down and releases his power and authority in individuals' lives that they might go carry out the mission that, that Jesus began. What a beautiful thing, and I think that's why Jesus just rejoices in this moment, because before he had, he had been doing the mission on his own, he'd been doing the ministry, and then he released his, his 12 disciples who had been closest to them to, to go with the same authority. And now just 72 other people who had come along are being commissioned to go out and do the same thing. And so the message to us tonight is, is simply, you know, there are lots, there's lots of principles, like I said, from, from this text that we can apply to how we are obedient to the mission that God has called us to in our lives. But the chief one is this, that Jesus came and now we must go in his name. Would you pray with me as we close and, and Sam is going to come up and lead us in, in one more song. God, we thank you that God, you are worthy of our praise. 
Lord, you have done an amazing work in our lives, and we can each testify to that truth. We thank you for it, God, that though we were sinners, though we were broken, though we were distraught, Lord, in Christ, we are your righteousness. God, we are made whole in you, and we are given a purpose and a passion for your kingdom. God, I pray, help us, Lord, to apply these principles to our lives. I'm, I'm sure there are more in here. There may be less, I don't know. But God, help us apply them to our lives. Help us chiefly, God, to be obedient to the things you've called us to do. Help us to open our eyes to the harvest that Jesus saw when he was on earth. God, it's still here, ripe to the picking. God, send out laborers into your harvest field. Raise them up. Help us to be obedient. Help us to seek your face. Christ's name.